The opinions expressed during this program are solely the opinions of the hosts, guests, and callers. They do not necessarily represent the views of the advertisers, management, staff, or ownership of WCTC. You're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Christina Previtt. If we haven't met before, I was a divorce lawyer in New Jersey for 15 years. I'm currently the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a divorce law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I'm talking to people who have overcome their fears and forged their own path in life. They had a wake-up call to make a radical change. They did it, and so can you. My guest today is Sarah Kaki. Sarah has an impressive resume. She's a lawyer, entrepreneur, speaker, business advisor, and founder of two separately branded seven-figure law firms in Atlanta, the Atlanta Divorce Law Firm and the Kaki Law Firm, which focuses on social security disability. Sarah literally started her law firm with just a laptop. Now she has two successful seven-figure firms, Sarah's latest venture is a personal branding business. Sarah teaches other women to leverage their business by discovering their own personal brand, unique point of view, and style. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I have to start out by saying, just for some of the people listening will know you, but others don't, you and I became acquainted through a consulting company known as How to Manage, a small law firm. And I feel like I've got this little fledgling business compared to what you have, your two firms. And I'm not true, but thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But I will say <laughs> that there's this special VIP section in the front for all the really big earners. And I've only seen you there. And then admired from afar, which you will appreciate your very fashionable style. <laughs> because I'm always asking you, where'd you get that? What are you wearing? So that's sort of how you and I became acquainted, just for some background for our listeners. But I as, appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. That's a wonderful introduction. I'll take that. Yeah. So <laughs> what you. I want to start out, though, is really, I, I always tell my guests, let's start in the beginning. I, have, I did some research on you online to kind of get a little bit more background, maybe stuff I didn't know already. But tell me, how, how did you decide to start your own law firm and what were you doing before that were you working for someone else yes so christina right after i graduated law school i went to work for a very large social security disability firm in chattanooga tennessee so um, my husband and i we'd just gotten married after law school um, left georgia to go to tennessee for me to take that job and for him to get started in his corporate career and I, I absolutely fell in love with Social Security Disability. I did not know what I wanted to do exactly coming out of law school, but I knew I wanted to work with people, and I wanted to work with um, real, like, human stories. And so I was always attracted to anything on that side. Um, I was in that firm for three years and really fell in love with the clients. I fell in love with the staff. But I really had a hard time not getting to put my own stamp on how I wanted things done. And I'm not just talking about, like, the file itself, but really even the client experience. And that was always a struggle for me. I felt very um, muted. And you'll hear me use the word muted and unmuted a lot. It's a big, big word for me. It's been a big journey for me to um, unmute myself and unmute my clients and team um, and my friends in the process. And when I became pregnant, in, um, I believe it was end of 2011 when I found out I'm pregnant with our first child, I realized that 
there's two paths that most women in the legal in their legal career take um, that are working for a private firm for somebody else. Um, they either have they you know they quit because it becomes too much with you know motherhood, um, or they go on their own, or they end up taking pay cuts because they take on less responsibility, and and you know. Not working and not working anymore, and taking up and pay cut. Neither one of those seemed like a great option to me. And I've always had a very strong entrepreneurial spirit. I come from immigrant parents. I'm an immigrant myself. I moved, you know, from Iran when I was little to Sweden, Sweden, the United States. And each move, my parents have been able to make it due to entrepreneurship. So I knew I had that DNA in me, and I knew I had a very specific point of view of how I wanted a client or anybody that comes in touch with my services to feel and what experience I wanted them to have. So I decided to start my own thing. And um, I don't think I would have been pushed enough to do it if I didn't have a little baby that I was about to have to care for. And I needed to create a business and a career that would serve my personal life rather than my personal life serving that. And so I left the firm beginning of 2012. I enjoyed my maternity. I had one of the most amazing pregnancies. I enjoyed every minute of being pregnant. And I really took it slow. It's sort of like creating a logo if I wasn't taking a nap or, you know, making a WordPress website that would take me like three months to create because I was doing it all on my own. Um, and I just kind of enjoyed the nesting and being a, a being pregnant. And I did a little bit of contract work here and there, but hadn't, you know, truthfully, I hadn't taken it all that seriously yet because I was still in that unknown phase of what is life going to be like with a little baby. Um, and I came out of that phase by the time my son was a little bit less than a year old, probably like 11 months old or so. And I realized that, man, I want to have a packed calendar again. I want to be in that heat of the moment where you don't know, like you're uncomfortable and you have a lot of things happening and you just have so much coming at you, but you figure it out. And you you, you missed the moving and shaking. Yes. I missed the hustling. I missed yeah. the coming to bed exhausted, right? Not like numbing yourself to fall asleep. And I mean, maternity leave was amazing and it was a dream, but it was a dream because it didn't last forever for me. I don't. I'm, I wasn't the right fit for it being forever for me. Well, you said something so interesting. By, you said that when you were pregnant, that that was sort of the impetus for you to go out on your own. And I've heard so many people say quite the opposite: that once they had obligations like that of children and you know bills and mortgages and things like that, that it was actually it was kind of safer to just stay working for someone else. But it sounds like you had the totally opposite experience. I did. And I think it's because I, uh, again, I, my parents, they moved us twice through, you know, two different, three different continents, um, Iran to Sweden, Sweden, the United States. And they just, we just have in my family, we have a really interesting relationship with the whole concept of security. Um, we don't, you know, we, we started from zero twice, you know, when we moved from Iran during a time of war, my family had a very comfortable life, moved to Sweden and had nothing in our hands, um, as refugees. And then in 96, when I was a teenager, we moved to Sweden, the United States again, started from zero. So it, to me, that's, 
uh, that's not security. Um, those things are just not security. Being able to live the life I want and be the mother I want to be and have the freedom to determine what I want to do and what I want to experience, that is, like, where I find security. Um, my dad in Sweden, he had a great nine-to-five job until the company got sold out and they all got laid off. So there's never any security in that, and I didn't find that to be secure. Um, I found it to be a lot more risky to have a sick child at home and have five or six hearings in a week and having to stay home with a child and then the firm telling me, you're out of here if you don't do this and this. That, to me, was more insecure than me going and figuring out on my own. Yeah, you actually don't have any control over your day-to-day activities or your life and how how you're going to juggle what you have going on in the office and what you have going on at home. Exactly. So it's not really safe. No, it's not. And I think it's a complete illusion. Um, And so many of us hang on to it because it's, it's really an excuse to not make ourselves go out and get uncomfortable. Um, I agree with that. It wasn't for me. Yeah, I agree with that. It's you're right. It's it's just an illusion of safety. And what it really comes down to is the only consideration. I think when you when you choose that path is really money. It's just money. Well, I'm going to get that guaranteed paycheck. You know, it comes in on whatever, the 2nd and the 17th of every month, and I get that guaranteed paycheck until they maybe decide that you're not a good fit any longer. But it really doesn't take take into consideration all of those other things, like flexibility with your schedule. For me, when I went out on my own, one of the big things for me was being able to work from home when I wanted to or being able to do a favor for a friend and and do maybe free or heavily discounted legal work for somebody if I wanted to do that because I didn't have that flexibility when I was working for someone else or to be able to say no to a really difficult client that was quite frankly just making my life hell every day. I didn't get that luxury to say, you know what, I don't think we're a good fit. So that was what it was for me. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that nails it. Those are absolute things that, I mean, you just, you have, those are all those things to me makes life more insecure than secure. Um, Feeding off of a hand that you have no control over. And that, that just was not a place I wanted to be, especially not with having a young child. And I personally feel that I had a very optimal situation because it's not like my child knew any different. You know, I did, it's not like I had a teenager that was used to a certain uh, us to have a certain income, and we were cutting that out. Um, I didn't have we didn't have the golden handcuffs, so to speak, on yeah. us. Um, now, we had always practiced living off of one paycheck and using the other paycheck either for savings or to pay student loans off. So we were in a really, really optimal place to do this. And I have to ask you for the people who are listening who might be saying, well. You know, maybe you had some other safety net. Was your husband also working at the time? I mean, was he a yes. little bit of a safety net for you? Absolutely. And that's the thing. I, I I love that you're asking that because this is a very common story we all have about somebody that is at some yeah. place that we want to get to, is that we find things that they have that we don't have. Yes, and they're excuses. Um, yes. They're excuses. Well, it's not. And then the thing is, it's absolutely true. I had a husband that had a great corporate job that was doing really well in the company and had a 401k, had a, you know, 
salary and all that, all those benefits that have that illusion of security. And yes, we had that. But what I kind of want to challenge anybody that's listening to this is, what is it that you have? Like everybody has some advantage at hand that uniquely positions them to do what it is that is in their heart's desire. We all have something. For me, my husband and his intelligence, his ability to produce um, and be a superstar in the corporate world was definitely part of my recipe. Um, But we all have something. And I really want to challenge that because, you know, in the coaching program that both you and I are in the How to Manage event, there's a lot of couples in there um, who are working together. And a lot of people will say, well, there's two of you. Well, yeah, that's good for them. But what? of course that gives them advantage, but you also have an advantage if you open up your eyes enough for the gratitude of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, I have a partner, too. He's not my husband. <laughs> He's just a good friend. And, um, yeah. you know, th- that has its own set of challenges. You know, it's not just your own show. There's someone else to consider. It really is kind of like a marriage. You have someone else to consider and what their needs are and what they want and what their Absolutely. vision is for the firm. So, look, the, no matter how you slice it, whatever your situation is, if you want to start a business, if it's a law firm or if it's something else, there's always going to be obstacles There's always going to be challenges. It's not easy for anybody. You still had to get up in the morning. You still had to break out your laptop. And, you know, I did something similar when I went out on my own. I had a laptop and I would just go to Starbucks and I would sit there and I would do work on my computer. I'm assuming you were doing something similar to that. Oh, yeah. But I I would take calls with my, my, you know, our baby Rami would be, asleep in the bed and I would be on the floor of the bed with my scan snap fujitsu scanner that is like part of the firm's like hall of fame of history in our in like a big laptop and I'd be in a corner like you know working scanning sending stuff to clients making use of that time that he's napping um you know asking for favors from family members so i could go to this networking event or that networking event i christina many times i breastfed while i was driving i'm sorry not breastfed i was um pumping while i would be driving from atlanta to savannah for a court attendance and that's a anybody familiar with this area that's a four-hour drive so i would be pumping on the way there stop somewhere at a gas station put the milk and ice get to the hearing attend for 20 minutes or 30 minutes get back in the car and pump on the drive home to get my baby to sleep. So we all have stories like this. And the great part about it is you get, you get to a point where you look at it and you just are so proud of yourself because of your hunger and your drive and you made it work. Like you didn't let any of these things stop you. Absolutely. And you know what? We're all hustling. Whether you work for someone else or you work for yourself, you're still hustling. So I, the way yeah. I look at it, I'm hustling for me now. I'm hustling for myself. Yeah. So You're hustling for you and you're hustling for your team, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I know that from just what I know of you, I know that you have had a lot of um, coaching for personal development and you have invested heavily in that. So I want to ask you, when you started your firm, 
I, I don't want people to have this impression that it was super easy and you were, it was just smooth sailing. And here I am saying Sarah Kaki is the owner of two successful seven-figure law firms. But how right. did you get there? I mean, was there a point where you were like, I need some help? And what, what, what did oh. that look like for you? Yeah, there were multiple points of I need help. There were multiple points of I'm, I'm not succeeding at this. I'm a failure. Somebody talked me off the ledge. I started the firm. I, I feel like the official start of my firm was October of 2013 when I decided to put my son in full-time care and got a office space that I shared with another friend of mine that had his own firm, and we shared a paralegal. And he had been at it for a little bit longer than I, and he had been um, a member of How to Manage a Small Law Firm. And he was just watching my 6.30 a.m., Till 7 p.m. grind, missing my baby at home, just, you know, being at the beck and call of every client that called, every referral source, just completely exhausting myself within that first month. And he's like, you are not going to last like this. You're going to, you are completely taking the patterns of a large law firm and you've now given yourself a job. Congratulations. Like, this isn't going to work. This, you, every reason you decide to build this is you're going against it. And I was like, you're right. What do I do? And he's like, well, let me set you up for a phone call with how to manage a small law firm. So I got on the call. Uh, long story short, my husband and I flew to Arizona, decided to join that group. When was and that? I've been a, a, that? Yeah, that was October of 2013. So I've been a member now of that oh. coaching program for six years. Okay, and so you were like, sign me up. I need this. Get me some of this. Yeah, I, I, I remember going, and they basically were explaining how, you know, this is we're going to help you run this as a business, not as another job. We're going to help you leverage this to serve your family. I mean, they were speaking my language because I had really gone and done this because I wanted a business that would not, keep me away from all the important events of my life and my husband's life and my children's life. Um, being coming from a family of entrepreneurs that own, you know, gas stations and shopping centers and, you know, and whatever convenience stores, I did not, I wanted what they didn't have because they had, they would, every Christmas there's an uncle missing every birthday. My dad, my, my dad might not be able to be there for the whole time because somebody's got to run the store. And that's just not what I wanted. And when they were kind of explaining to have the anecdote to that, I was like, sign me up. My husband was very much, well, you know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm an Excel spreadsheet guy. What can they do that I can't do? And yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, they, you know, the founder, R. John Robbins, looked them in the face and said, at the end of the night, do you want to go to bed and talk business with your wife or do you want her to be your wife? And he was like, yeah. I mean, that's right. You that's know, good. I, am I going to take... Yeah. So at some point, though, you realized, and I know that this is something Arjun, who's the owner of How to Manage, he talks about a lot, is that personal development precedes professional development. So at some point, yeah. it's not about how to do intake or how to, you know, how to do marketing or how to do SEO or whatever it is, all the different functions mm -hmm. of your business. Like, like what you said, your husband said about Excel spreadsheets. It's not about that. It's really about what is between your two ears and what thoughts you're having where you're actually limiting yourself. So at what point did you start to become more aware of those kinds of things? 
very early on in how to manage. I realized that I had a deep need to be liked. I had a deep need to be special. I had a deep need um, to, I had a martyr mentality. And so kind of break that down and kind of explain to anybody that's not familiar with these things, how dysfunctional that can be for a business owner. Um, need to be liked, for instance. I, it was more important to me that my staff liked me and that I was, you know, considered the best boss they've ever had than for me to push for results and challenge them and help them grow and challenge themselves and um, get them to a point where they had never thought they could perform before. It's more important to me to, you know, be special as, and you, and you have a need to be special. You'll do crazy things that are just completely not um, in alignment with who you are just to get that badge of like, oh, you're special. You're going to go, you're a special snowflake. The rules don't apply, either the rules don't apply to you or, you know, you're going to go out of your way to just uh, compete in places you don't need to compete or outshine in places that is not for you. Um, and it was really a lot of personal development to get comfortable with, you know, I don't need to win every contest. I don't need to be everything to everybody. Um, I don't need to be the special snowflake to everybody. I don't need to be everybody's best friend. It was very, very difficult for me to overcome those because those things were what had got, I had seen so much success since I was a little girl and I got so much attention for these things since I was a little girl. Um, going through three different cultures, three different continents, and uh, everything I had been exposed to, this, these were my surviving skills. And I'm grateful I adopted them and that they got me, to, you know, through the point I had needed to. But it had gotten to a point where they were keeping me back. And then to top it all off, the whole martyr situation, which was something I adopted from my, my, uh, my mother and very much ingrained into a Middle Eastern culture, where, you know, you, you sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. Um, you can't, you feel like when you come home, you have to be the most exhausted person because that's how you get your love from your, from your family. Um, you have to be the one that works the hardest at the office. Um, you have to be the one that gets fed last or gets paid last. Um, and you'll just go out of your way to get love and appreciation and you're special by not being in integrity and authentic with who you really are, but playing a role and a part to get all these things. And these are detrimental to a business, to a family, um, and to relationships. So have you been cured? I don't think you're ever fully cured. I, I hope you are, but I, I definitely don't think it's, I'm not striving for cure. Um, what I've learned through the work I've done and the work I continue to do is that um, there's nothing here that's broken that needs to be fixed. It's a matter of every day being in a state of awareness where you don't let your pattern play out the role. You don't let this fake role that you've been taught to play play out, but you allow the real you to show through and shine through. Um, some days I do that better than others, but it's a constant reminder. And the more I've, you know, it's like a muscle. Uh, awareness is really a muscle. The more you use it, the more you exercise it, the more natural it comes to you. Obviously, when you come into very stressful situations, it's always more difficult to practice that awareness because your mind biologically just straight goes into what it knows that has worked in the past to survive. 
and it can go into those, which could lead you to, you know, become out of integrity. But that is, you know, the def- definition of integrity, isn't it? I mean, to, to really do what is the right thing and be your full authentic version, even during stressful times. But I'm incredibly grateful that um, more than the firms or, you know, the business growth or anything, is this path has just led me to so much personal awareness. Do you feel like there was a point at which you can identify where you really had this turning point and what the cause of that was? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, you know, 2016, Christina, our first firm, the Kaki Law Firm, was supposed to have a big year, and it was Social Security is who pays us in that practice area. We get paid by the government, and payments were starting to slow down big time, and the government was going into a freeze. And I remember having a moment where I thought to myself, I am sick of my own stories. Like, I don't even know how other people must be receiving me at this point where I always have the same story, which is, well, I have a contingency practice and I'm building up a pipeline and I don't really have cash flow right now because I'm waiting for Social Security to pay me and it all depends on Social Security. I remember it was the moment where I became sick of my own story of I'm a martyr to Social Security, I'm a victim to Social Security's contingency practice, and I have no control over this, and I can't be held accountable for my lack of cash flow, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just a special snowflake. And the underdog game, that's the game I was playing, you know, I'm just the underdog. And it was that, and I remember vividly, like in spring of 2016, leading into that summer was when this was kind of brewing inside of me, just this frustration and anger that was like, like in a dark place inside of me where I was like, I am done with thinking, worrying about what other people think about me. I am done trying to play this um, role of somebody that is very special and is always, um, you know, the nice girl and all that. I was like, I'm just done with this role. I need to do whatever it takes to make this business profitable because it looks profitable. I mean, it looks huge from the outside. It's growing. Our pipeline's growing. We're getting more and more clients. Our staff is growing. But in the background, there's always this, like, shade of at any minute Social Security could not pay us and we don't have enough in the reserves to protect us and we're in knee-deep in debt trying to cover that part out. And I'm getting a lot of love and appreciation for how quickly I've grown this firm and how well I've done growing this team and how well I've done with my marketing and how much our clients love us. That's all great. But, you know, that piece about providing for my personal life and not being a martyr to the business that wasn't that I hadn't stepped up there. I was still very much playing the game of, you know, I'm the underdog. And at some point, it was just uh, my own story was no longer appealing to me. It wasn't even about you, you got tired of yourself. Yeah, I didn't even need an intervention from other people. I had an intervention on myself. Where I'm like, I'm just tired of hearing this internal voice. I'm done with it. Well, did you think, do you think you suffered a little bit from maybe imposter syndrome? Did did you kind of feel like you were oh putting on God. this great front? Christina, I suffer from the imposter syndrome every day. <laughs> I don't, is, don't we is, all? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, just hearing your 
raving, beautiful introduction. I'm like, is she talking about me? Yeah, who she? Um, does she yeah. know this is Sarah Kaki? Does she yeah. <laughs> have me confused with someone Sarah else? She speaks of. I'd love to meet her. Um, she sounds like she dresses fabulously. Yeah, no, absolutely. The imposter syndrome has been so real and you're right it is for all of us and the more i've actually studied the imposter syndrome and there's a great book about it called the alter ego doesn't just talk about the imposter syndrome but it mentions the imposter syndrome um and it seems to be any of us who have sought out to achieve anything and have been relentless about it we all have that so i feel like i'm in good company with it and that's sort of how i make myself feel better about it but yes I absolutely have it, and the way I've um, tried to overcome it is by being as real and authentic with people as I possibly can about my journey. Um, I tried as much as I can, every opportunity I get, to tell them about my blood, sweat, and tears, but also, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not living what I consider a very enchanted and um, extraordinary life that I'm incredibly feel lucky and grateful for, but... Have there been blood, sweat, and tears? Absolutely. Did there always have to be? No. I probably chose some of my struggles and brought it on my own. But um, I think that that's one way I've tried to work through my imposter syndrome feeling is just being as real and authentic for people and telling them what the real deal is so they don't have any notions of, oh, you know, she's just, everything just comes her way however she wants it. Yeah, and a lot of times it does look that way from the outside. I always, I tell myself this, I say this to other people, whoever you're talking about, whoever you may be envious of, how great their life looks, you know, they're gorgeous, they're rich, they got the cute, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. There's always, always some insecurity or insecurities that that person has. Mm -hmm. There's always struggles and challenges that that person is experiencing that you don't know about. So life isn't exactly. so perfect for them. And you thank you for sharing what your insecurities are because I think it it's very relatable and I try on my show to have inspiring stories. If somebody listens to this and says, "Wow, you know, she's so awesome and she's struggling with that, you know, I'm not such a loser after all. You know, it's not me. It is every everybody else is experiencing this too. So absolutely, I appreciate you sharing that. Can you share? I know that you've worked with David Nagel as well. I've mentioned him yeah. here and there on my show. And can you share any personal experience that you had with David? Because I know that you've shared at How to Manage that you've you've had some pretty intense experiences through your personal coaching that were yeah. were really uh, relatable and also other turning points for you and your business and your personal life. Yeah, David, the work I've done with David, um, I have had some intense experiences with him. Some, um, I've, I've done some retreats with him and my husband and I have done a lot of that work together. The best way I can describe it and, um, feel free to, you know, uh, you know, ask as many questions you need to into it. If I'm not offering enough, I'm going to give the best I can. David's really taken a mirror and a mirror of truth and had and put it in front of my face and showed me who I made me see who I really am. He's cut me to my core and not even taken layer by layer, like literally looked at me and had cut me into my core. One of my first experiences with David 
first or second, um, I was up at the mic asking him. This was before I had done any intensive one-on-one work with him or done any of his retreat events or workations. And I remember saying to David, you know, I, I have this need to be special and I have this need to compete and I always have to win. And he just, Christina, he just looked at me and he goes, you're not that special. Ooh. Oh, that had to hurt. I mean, the whole room was quiet. Like you couldn't hear a pin drop. And he just looked me straight in the eyes in his own David Nagel way and looked into my soul and said, you're not that special. So who are you really? Um, And he took me through this beautiful process. I mean, it sounds painful the way I'm describing it, but he has this way of creating this incredibly safe environment. He calls up, his energy calls upon the most authentic, raw, dark pea parts of you that you've never shed a light on. And it's like almost like an invitation for those parts of you to engage and come out and come into the light. So he brought that out of me. He, um, he brought a lot of stuff out for Hisham and I that helped us really see that this is, if, we're going, if our marriage is going to grow the way we've envisioned ourselves personally to grow, what that work would look like for both of us. Um, my husband is a very alpha personality. I'm a very alpha personality. Um, we're both. He's left the corporate world since working with David. That was one of the things that came out of the work we did with David. Um, We stopped tolerating anything that we was just in our way of fully enjoying our lives, and we stopped tolerating so much stuff. And he left the corporate world and went and started his own company. Um, So we're both entrepreneurs. We're both alpha dogs. So you can imagine the work we had to do to not step on each other's toes and to use each of our powers to create together rather than destruct. Um, So how did, how did it come to be that your husband did the coaching with you? So we were, you know, he had been so great and supportive through all the Arjun stuff we did, all the how to manage stuff we did. And um, when I signed us up for David, I went to him and I was like, you know, this is actually something we can both do together because he loved all the how to manage stuff. He loved all the, lessons and you know there it's for attorneys but there's so much for anybody in that room no matter what they do to learn and I think he was just really how to manage had really um, started his appetite for more personal development and David it's not limited to any one thing it's just for anybody hungry for more growth they can engage in that so I was like this could be for both of us so we both went in and we both we've always both been equal participants in the how to and the David Nagel program and um this last november he had an event and he had his sham and i up on stage telling our story together and that to me was one of those moments where i was like this is so amazing to be on this stage sharing it with my husband that that was a very very special moment for me for us to be vulnerable together in front of um, an audience and telling our story uh, with authenticity and um sharing that together. Well, that's awesome because I think so many times, whether you, whether it's a business partner or a husband or a spouse or, you know, whatever the close relationship is sometimes, and let me know what you think about this. It's difficult sometimes when one person really wants to grow and they're aggressively pursuing personal development and then the other person isn't. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Christina, it depends on the values of the marriage and the relationship. If a common value between both of you is growth and the mar- and the relationship has been based upon mutual growth, then, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very difficult place to be. Um, but there can also be marriages where one person has the value system of growth, the other person might not. But they may, but the marriage still has other core values that it can rely on and it can build upon. And in that situation, as long as the other person who's not, you know, growth-minded or into personal development can say, you know, honey, this isn't for me, but I love and support you, and I will sit from here and watch you shine and grow and let me know how I can support you. If supporting you means I attend events and, you know, hold your hand through it, I'm available for that. If it means I take care of the kids while you go off and do this, I'm available for that. And I think it's just a matter of being honest here with yourself of which are you fine with a marriage where the other person is willing to sit behind and watch you, or do you need an active participant with you um, to be in that journey completely step-by-step with you? For me and Hashem, personally, we need that. We need that. We're in this together. We're going to grow together. We're both going to be participants in it. But I also know a lot of people who aren't in that kind of a setup in their marriage, and they've figured it out as well. But I think you just need to be really, really honest with yourself about which is it for you. Yeah, I mean, I of course, I think that's a good answer because sometimes I forget that just because I think that personal development is going to coaching events where, you know, you've got David saying, hey, you're not special. I sort of need to be slapped in the face with things sometimes. And maybe that's not what it looks like for other people. Maybe other people get their development from reading books or listening to podcasts or, you know, having just observing people like David um, or other coaches like him and just kind of observing them and letting that absorb a little bit. But I do think... Sorry, oh, go yeah, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. One of the, well, one of the things, I, I think you just nailed it because it's not, other people have a different method of getting there. I have a friend whose husband is incredibly religious, and um, what the church he goes to is actually teaches a lot of things that are very in alignment with David's teachings and a lot of personal development because a lot of personal development books, some of the essence comes from the Bible, and I'm actually not religious and I'm not Christian, so I'm just stating fact here. Um, And that's where they're getting it from. And that works for them. On the other hand, sometimes it's up to the person who is into this stuff to just model the behavior. And that might be influential enough and convincing enough for the other person to say, whatever you're on, whatever you're getting that's helping you, I want some of that. Um, And I think that's a great place to start. I think that's a good point. Watching you walk the walk is inspiring and, and motivating. Exactly. It can say, okay, well, she's not just talking about that. She's actually doing it and she's getting results. You know, maybe I, maybe I can get me some of that. I can go to whatever <laughs> event and, you know, get coaching. I will say, though, from my perspective, in my opinion, I think a lot of times with coaching, though, you get something that you can't get out of a book, and that is having somebody else call you out. I can't curse because this is aired on the radio, but call you out on your BS because it's really difficult, if not impossible to do that to yourself because you don't see it. 
hundred percent. I um, attribute a huge, if not all, of um, you know my story and my journey and what I've done so far to the coaching that I've received. And I'm very, quite frankly, very grateful to myself for saying yes to myself to receive that from a very early point. Um, listening to that instinct, listening to that gut saying, there's a different way from what you saw your family do it. There's a different and a better way to get here. Um, and what, what do you really have to lose, honestly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of do, do people really want to put themselves out there? Because if you're going to go in front of David or if you're going to go in front of Arjun, you're exposed, I mean, they're going to say what they need to say. They're not worried about hurting your feelings or, you know, coddling you and making sure that this transition is not painful in any way. It is what it is. I mean, probably the most amazing transitions, I think, there's pain involved. I mean, did you experience pain in yours? Oh, my God. Um, I knew with David that I had to bring something up to him whenever... I was going through like an exercise with him or we were doing something and I, I, my body would be shaking and I wouldn't even know what's going on. Or it was as soon as something came to my mind, I've always done this with our John, David, anybody I've coached with. As soon as something comes in my mind that says, do not reveal this, do yeah. not tell anybody, do not share this. Like the other part of my head says exactly why you need to share this. This needs to go out of the dark into the light. And that's where my biggest breakthroughs have come from is when I'm sharing some of my deepest, darkest fears or um, thoughts that need to come into the light. And then it's like, poof, there's the awareness. Now they don't have any more power over me. And, of course, there's pain. The hardest part of all of this is when you're shedding all those things about you that you realize is not your true self. Like when I was talking about my need to be special, and I realized that's not truly who Sarah Kathy is. That's a pattern. That's a way, that's a mess tool of survival that I learned from an early childhood or the need to be like, these are not really who I am. This is an inauthentic ex- expression in order to get what I want in a very manipulative way. Um, when you start shedding these things, you kind of go through this very dark phase in personal development where you don't know who you are because now you've just gotten rid of all these things that you thought made you you. Like, oh, if I don't walk into the room and I'm the most liked and special girl in the room, who am I? With the who best outfit on. Uh, yeah, who am I? <laughs> who is that? And um, it's because... a very dark place to be. Yeah, it's kind um, of the person you created, right? It's like, exactly. well, you had mentioned in sort of an alter ego. Well, you mentioned the book, Alter Ego. But it's, it is kind of like an alter ego that you've sort of created, like this, this person that I present to the world. Exactly. And that's the part where the pain, I think, is heightened because you have a really high risk of backsliding into your old patterns because you're so uncomfortable not knowing who you are now that you've shed all these dysfunctional parts of yourself. But the, if you can work through the pain and you can go through that dark period, you find that um, you can actually create who you want to be. Um, apps like a complete piece of art. You can create who you want to be and you can make it into something that it works for the authentic you that has truly been there all along waiting to be unmuted. 
That's awesome. Um, well, I'm a big David fan. I'm a big Arjun fan, and I just love that stuff. If I feel uncomfortable, then, well, it's a little painful, but I, I kind of look for those things because I feel like I have absolutely had the most growth during those times. But let's move yeah. on to something a little bit more practical, and that yeah. is how in the heck did you build two, not one, but two <laughs> seven-figure law firms? And I know you can't squeeze that into uh, a couple of sound bites, but give me the highlights. Sure. Well, Christina, um, it's one of those things that the imposter syndrome in me just has to reveal that it's not as, as crazy as it sounds. So I had a really, really great team in the khaki law firm. Um, and part of that is because I've always been very real with them about the mission to Mars, where we want to go, what we want to create, the experience we want to have on the client, and giving them ownership of their part in that, giving them everything I wished I had when I was working at a law firm. And when, you know, 2016, when the Tacky Law Firm was really struggling when Social Security froze, we, I was very honest with my team, and I said, we need to build a family law firm. I've always wanted to do this. I've, you know, created a business plan even for it. I really would like for you guys to help me. And my uh, intake department from the CACI law firm and my firm administrator from the CACI law firm rolled up their sleeves. This was not done by me alone. This was a team effort, um, and they got to work with me. We basically just used all the infrastructure tools we had, the policies and procedures, the referral sources, the marketing systems we had, and we built out um, the family law firm Little by little, um, we used the platform of the Khaki Law Firm to build a side business until it was generating enough clients for itself to, to justify ha making hires. Um, and then we started making one hire after another, and it started growing and actually started outgrowing the Khaki Law Firm. It, now they're in two separate office buildings in the same office park. They have separate legal staff, um, separate websites. But it was really something that got built off the back of the existing firm. And if How to Manage and myself had not spent those years from 2013 to 2016 making sure that the CACI Law Firm was a true business that could run itself um, and didn't need me day in and day out to babysit it, it w we wouldn't have been able to do that. But because we were always creating policies and procedures and systems and infrastructure, and more importantly, building a team that believed in me. Um, and I'm, I mean, that really was, if I could say, forget everything else, it was, it's build that team that believes in you. Um, they may not always believe in the specific project you're doing, but they believe in you and they believe that you are going to show up for them and you're going to be a fearless leader. And even days where you aren't a fearless leader, you have to show up as a fearless leader. So when the social security firm was struggling because of the payments, I was really, really aware of my fearful energy, and I was very careful to not bring that into the office. I was very careful to not lose the faith and trust of that team I had. Um, so was so that a I, real concern? Looking back on it, was oh, that a real concern, or was that just like you know the boogeyman in your head? It was a real concern in the sense that it, there really were firms, smaller firms and firms my size and a little bit bigger that got knocked to their feet. But the problem is 
why didn't I, I, I mean, I, I always knew for those three years before this happened, I always knew that I was at the beck and call of Social Security and that I was waiting for the government to pay on these contingency cases. And I, it's not like I hadn't, it hadn't been brought to my attention by how to manage or other people before of, well, why don't you build a second practice area? And so it wasn't until I was ready to step up and be who I needed to be and not worry about what other people were going to think about me for having a second law firm or being so afraid of failure and, and more afraid of being seen if I failed. If it wasn't, yes, it's the fear of failure. Exactly. It wasn't until I was ready to let go of all of that that I was willing to come up, step into the solution because the solution was always there and it wasn't within my awareness, but I wasn't ready to be the person who was going to make that work. Yes, it is a real, ma- it was a real mathematical problem, but it had a real solution that, you know, I wasn't working. Yeah, and I, and I have to comment because I've been hearing this, this theme come up over and over again, and that is the, the real fear of failure. What it really is about is being afraid about what everyone's going to think. Exactly. What are they going to say about me if I fail? So we have a little bit of time left, and I cannot let you go without you talking about your latest venture, which is the (laughs) personal branding business. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, thank you. Um, So one of my really close friends, Lee Hayward, she's an image strategist and brand consultant. She's done actually some of this work for David. She's done it for Arjun. Um, and a lot of how to manage members. I hired her back in 2016 to come to my office and help me um, help brand my team, uh, my staff, um, so we could all be in alignment and give the client a consistent experience with us personally, regardless of who they were working with. After she did that, we became really, really close friends. We had some trips together, and one of our trips together, we were um, in Miami on the beach, and we're like, you know, what we did for the team, how amazing would it be if we could do this for other people? And it was just something that was lurking around. And then um, I, I think it was like in May or maybe it would have been March. I called her up and I'm like, Lee, let's just do it. Let's create a retreat um, for women where they can come and unmute themselves. And we help them find their own personal power that they've muted. And they let go basically the work that, I have had to do on myself to step into my power. What if we did this for them? But we also did it aesthetically where we empowered them to dress and feel confident. And, you know, we did it with a, with a trip to um, shopping day. We did it with a headshot where they no longer are trying to do, this is what I should look like versus this is what I feel. And once I've, you know, unmuted who I am, I'm also going to do the packaging from the outside so I can walk into any room and make the impression that I want to make under my terms, not other people's terms. So we did one in June. It turned out to be uh, a phenomenal event for all involved, including Lee and I. It unraveled, unmuted for us also a project that we've always been very passionate about and wanted to express. And I personally, in, in on top of personal development. I love, love fashion and love expressing myself through fashion. And I love giving, giving women the uh, vocabulary and empower them with tools for them to do that for themselves. And um, Lee is so amazing at the branding portion. And we combine that with talking about your marketing, you as a leader, 
and really as a visionary and what does that vision look like and what are the core values of that vision and how can we dress all of that up so you can walk into any scene and really um, your presence is felt in a way that you want it to be felt and not under other people's terms. So I we love had that. another one recently and we did one for the guys too. They wanted oh. one as well. And yeah, and that was really fun too. Now to be clear, this isn't just like being a stylist. It's a little more than that, right? I really appreciate you saying that because it really is a lot more than that. Um, it's two and a half days, and really out of that two and a half days, only half a day is for shopping and styling. The other days are really becoming clear on who are you, how do you want to be, how do you want to do your job as a leader, how can you be an effective leader, what's the impact you want to make, and what are the core values that are going to get you there. Um, and dressing that up is part of it. It's really just packaging on top of the gift of your power that we unravel during those two and a half days. Yeah, I really like and the way you say unmuting. Yeah. Because it's basically it's like this, like hiding. Exactly. It's exactly what that is. Because you see so many powerhouse women, and this is for true for men too that we found out when we did the men's retreat, that they go, their power, their gift is completely going through life unknown and it's completely hidden, and it's because they're playing the should game of I should mm. fit into this box yes. versus really being clear on unapologetic about who they truly are and using that to help other people. So tell us, if someone is interested in doing this program with you, how should they reach out to you? So Lee and I don't have any upcoming dates yet, but we have a number of women that have asked us to do it again in the fall. So we are currently just communicating with them to see what date would work if we did it in fall again. But um, best way is really um, you can email me at one of my law firm emails and let me know you're interested. Or you can go on the uh, – actually, let me give the website information. It's called unleashyourpersonalbrandpower.com. And on there, there's an email and there's a web the contact us form where you can let us know you're interested and we will communicate with you for future dates. I can, you can also email me at sarah at atldivorcegroup.com or sarah at thecackylawfirm.com. I'll, I'll put a link for all of your information. And, guys, if you just Google her, you're going to find a ton of stuff. So just contact <laughs> her at one of those. So we, we have literally like one minute left, actually less than one minute. And I, when I was stalking you on the Internet, I saw that you grew up um, reading Rumi. And so I have yes. to put you on the spot and ask you what is your yes. favorite Rumi quote. And then we'll end on that. Um, all right. So one of, I, can I please give you two? Yes, one yes. is from my wedding. My, I wrote my own little thing for my wedding and our, our entire wedding theme was around this poem from Rumi um, that says, the, mo- the minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you. Oh, I love and that. I love that line. I get chills when I say it because in Rumi, if you're a student of Rumi, you know he's not just talking about you and your spouse or your loved one or your partner. He's also talking about God or the universe or a higher power. So he's saying that the minute he heard his first love story, he heard about love, he was so moved. He wanted to not only look for his love, this love of his life, but also for that higher power that created love. All right, my second favorite one, and it's right up there with this one, is 
Um, we're not just a drop in the ocean. We're the entire ocean in a drop. Yes, I've seen that too. I love it. That's such a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. We could go on easily for another hour, but we don't have time. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Kravitz. See you next time.